Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. You know what time it is, everybody. This is Joel Cheeseman of the Chad and Cheese Podcast, joined, as always, by my co-host, Chad Sowash. And today... I'm excited. We are blessed to have Al Bray... Brown, diversity, equity, and inclusion at Airtable. Albury, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going well. It's a sunny day here in uh, Oakland, California. Oaktown. Oaktown 357, baby. Does everyone know MC Hammer in Oakland, or is that a myth? Uh, no, everyone knows MC Hammer. In yes, fact. I knew it. When you move to Oakland as a gentrifier, you have to meet with him for 45 minutes <laughs> so that he can watch you do the hammer time dance. And if you can't do it, you're done. You can't buy a house. You're kicked out. Do you have to wear the pants when you meet with him? Or does <laughs> yes, that, is that of optional? Yes, you do. Nice. You gotta, nice, you gotta nice. wear the pants. You gotta wear the shades. You gotta shake the head. The suspenders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Dini, 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 Dini. Dini. Can't touch this. Yeah, Albury, so uh, a lot of our listeners obviously don't know who you are. So give them the Twitter uh, Twitter intro and maybe a little bit about Airtable for those who don't know. Yeah, so I want to first say that everyone knows me, so I'm sorry to tell nice. you that. But um, <laughs> my name is Al Bray. I lead diversity, equity, and inclusion at Airtable. I've been um, leading DE&I at several companies for about seven years now. Um, and Airtable is a cloud collaboration company, really in the what's called the no-code, low-code space. So what we specialize in is we have a product that makes it really easy for folks who've never programmed before to build their own applications and workflows. So what we say is that we are democratizing software creation by allowing anyone to build what they want. Um, And we truly believe that, which is why diversity, equity, and inclusion is at the core of our mission. So that's what we do. Any other questions? Would you count Twilio as a competitor? Uh, I'd say t- uh, Twilio, not so much a competitor because they focus more on uh, how you um, like do outreach to folks. So like SendGrid and text messages, messaging, et cetera, et cetera. But we do uh, like integrate with platforms like Twilio. So for example, if you wanted, if you two had a form request when people wanted to like uh, apply to be on the show, there, we have a database system that when people apply through air t- uh, through an Airtable form, it hits the database and you can create an integration that automatically uses Twilio to text them to say, hey, uh, we got your, got your application to be on the show. We'll get back to you within 48 hours. Gotcha. So we're kind of like the, the layer between actions and um, like human actions and uh, what other uh, uh, triggering other tools to do the things that you all want to do. So we had Madison Butler on the show and like Albrey came out of the woodwork on Twitter. It was like, it was Love like, her. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I noticed his Twitter handle, right? And it says angry black man. I'm like, okay, that's a dude I want to talk to. Yep. His LinkedIn about is I'm rooting for everybody black. So yep. you make no, you don't camouflage it at all. 100%. I dig it. 
So what kind of flack do you get from that shit? I mean, seriously, because it's it's interesting. We've talked to Tornellis before, and he's like, nobody calls you angry white dudes, and you are. What yeah. the fuck, right? So yeah. from, from your standpoint, I mean, you got to catch flack from that shit. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the reason why I made it my handle is because, one, it's a little bit ironic, and I'm an, I'm an ironic dude. I feel like, you know, there's the angry black man trope. Uh, you know, that, you know, yes. black folks are, are angry at the way the society has treated them and just mm-hmm. continuously kind of reproduce that anger and their actions, which let's all just, just say that's totally warranted. I mean, I, I can't go past if, if you gave me a, uh, a time machine, I wouldn't go back to past like 19, the 1980s, um, because life wouldn't be all that easy for me before then. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the reason that first and foremost to your question, I actually don't catch any flack. Um, I think that the, the reason why I put those things uh, first and foremost on my LinkedIn and my Twitter is because it's kind of like the Eminem effect. You know, Eminem and Eight Mile, uh, the, in the last rap battle, he's trying to figure out how to beat this guy who just yeah. way more gangster than him. And he just decides, yeah. I'm going to lay it out all on the table so that you know my brand. And then what are you going to say? So yeah. um, it actually ends up being the opposite effect because I've I've owned it and, and I've already kind of put that on the table. It's somewhat disarming um, and it, it's worked out in my favor. Was there any conversation with your employer about this or was it just sort of like, we know what we're getting and we're going to roll with it? There was a conversation at the beginning when I was interviewing at Airtable about who I am and about yeah. the, what, what they are buying when they decide to you know provide my salary every two weeks. And I think... You know, part of the part of the luxury that DEI people don't talk about is that I'm actually paid partially to be black in the workplace. Like my job as a diversity leader is to be black, um, so that I can then translate um, what it's like to bring your full self to work to both executives and to individual contributors. Yeah. So I think if I was a salesperson, it might be a different conversation. If I was an engineer, it definitely would be a different conversation because the culture is a little bit different. But the, the privilege of being in diversity, equity, and inclusion is that you're put on this platform to be, in my case, black as fuck. But wait a minute, because CDOs yeah. have been a ceremonial position over the years, although over the last year, 18 months or so, I'm feeling like that's finally, they finally found their groove, right? Sure. So I, I get what you're saying about, hey, it's my job to be black in the workplace and, and to be able to, to live who I am. It's almost like CDOs for a very long time really had no resources. There was no outcomes associated to them. They literally were just there as a figurehead. Yeah, yep. yeah 100%. And like uh, to, to your point, there's kind of like a tokenization of the CDO, right? Like let's let's hire someone in the C-suite or like right under the C-suite to show that we have representation, but let's yeah. not give them the operate operative budget to actually change the way that we do things. And I think that's a really keen observation, Chad, that over the last 18 months, maybe, you know, I'd say, yeah, 18 months is about right. Um, I think what companies are recognizing is that um, especially Gen Z gives a fuck about this stuff. They care <laughs> about diversity. I don't know if you two are on TikTok, but I learn more from yes. uh, the 25 and under crowd on TikTok about oppression and racism and sexism than about anyone else. I'm so sorry. Think, I'm, I'm taking notes. How do you spell that? 
Oh, whatever, dude. T i c k is that? Is that this dude? This dude is on TikTok more than probably than you and me combined. I'll, I'll be nice. Uh, well, so uh, Joel, you got to get um, the Ben Roethlisberger TikTok handle. Is 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 he on TikTok? I, I find that very hard to believe. That if he's the, not on TikTok, you should own it. Yeah, I should own that. I should own that. So so you're you're obviously not a figurehead. You're doing work. What does a day in the life of Albre look like? Great question. I, I think diversity and inclusion work is first and foremost very entrepreneurial in the sense that you know you're really selling a vision of what the company can be like in the future. Um, while from a cultural perspective, you know, no company is getting any diversity, equity, and inclusion right at the moment, and it's going to take you know fifty, a hundred years to get to a point where things are equal for everyone in whatever way that's meaningful to you know an organization. So, uh, as an entrepreneur and a person who's building my function from the ground up, you know, my the day in the life looks first and foremost like talking of being the first one, the lighthouse for talking about things that are going on within the, uh, in the world and relating that back to the organization. So for example, one thing that we just did last week at Airtable was acknowledge all of the anti-Asian uh, racism that's happening across the nation. There's been a 1900% increase in uh, hate crimes against Asian folks since coronavirus. And it was something that our Asian employees were having a lot of just personal strife with. Just a lot of, uh, you know, I talked to one of our uh, employees about the fact that like she's really worried about her parents when they walk around San Francisco and what might happen to them. Um, I talked to a, another teammate of mine who he's not Asian, but his wife is Asian and his, his, he's taken his kid to daycare and he's just very worried for the first time about racism. Um, so I was the, the person who first listened to the employees who were being affected by this, prompted our leadership team like that this is something that we need to support as a company, and then coordinated both a statement and a donation campaign. And um, uh, we're bringing in an expert who can educate other air tablets and allies about what, uh, what needs to be done and how they can be allies outside of the organization. So that's just an example of like, oh, I am kind of the tip of the spear when it comes to acknowledging the societal things that are happening um, outside of Airtable and attaching them to both our like employee culture. So that's one. So, so it's more than just job descriptions. Is that what you're saying? Way more than just job descriptions. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is the trouble that companies are having right now who are just new to this game. They believe yeah. that it, it is not a, a truly quantifiable role. Um, in the sense that, you know, culture is not something that you can just put down to like the most simple atomic unit, right? Or, or the most simple, uh, you know, objective and key results. Um, it, it's truly a really fluid day to day that I have. Um, the things that are consistent are, you know, reporting on our company representation and saying, you know, what do we look like from a bunch of different dimensions, race, ethnicity, or uh, race, ethnicity, gender, disability status, veteranship, and then trying to understand whether we're actually providing equal opportunity to what folks outside of our organization. So that really looks like comparing what we look like as a company to the total, total available market of talent. So if we have, you know, we recently realized that only 13% 
of our engineering team were women. That was last year. But the total addressable market, available market of talent is 30%. So we said we should at least get to that total available market of talent. If the, if the market is telling us that 30% of engineers identify as women, 13% is not enough. So we just yeah. spent the last year getting up to 27%. Dude. 13 to 27%. I mean, so yeah, solid. So that in itself, that in itself outcomes, right? I mean, that that that's that's part of what we've been asking for for decades for God's sakes is stop this mamby pamby fucking, you know, fluff that we're hearing about mamby pamby. What are you 65? Mamby pamby? <laughs> Good lord. That's for our 65 and over crowd. I have to try to work <laughs> that's that true. in. That's true. That's and true. Good that point. Note, age discrimination is huge in text. <laughs> we're on the we're on the the back nine of that, my friend. Don't you worry. Shut up, Cheeseman. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, dude, that, I mean that is that is huge, and I want to talk about outcomes. We're going to get to outcomes. There's no question. But from my standpoint, and I'm sure from yours as well, being in the position, DEI feels like it's bigger than HR, right? So. Mm. You know, does DEI actually belong, reside in HR, or is that just one of the departments that you're a part of? And, and who do you currently report to? Yeah, I currently report to um, our one of our uh, HR leads. Right now, we uh, are looking for a head of HR so if, or a head of people. So if you know anyone, please let me know. Um, Airtable is a great place to work. And we could definitely, as we scale, use someone um, who can make sure that we scale in a thoughtful way. So just putting that out there. Um, and to, to your question, I mean, we've had several conversations about this at Airtable about who DE&I should be reporting to. And honestly, it's the CEO. Uh, to your point, Chad, diversity touches every single part of the organization. And um First, it definitely starts with like taking care of your people. I think of it as like spheres of influence. So your first sphere of influence are the people who are working for you. And those are the people who are the most important because they're actually pushing the product forward. So whatever they care about from the diversity perspective, you should work very, very hard to make sure that you're meeting those needs. The second piece is the talent that you're going to have in the future. So applicants, folks who you want to source, recruits. So making sure that your company and your talent brand really speaks to them, which means having a company company that's representative of what the market says is available. And then the third is customers. So what do your customers want to see? And I can tell you that especially in tech and really for any product, they want to see themselves represented in the marketing. They want to see themselves as sold ads that are that have people that look like them because we live in a world now where identity is very much attached to your dollars. And then the second piece is they want a product that is accessible to them. And accessibility, I think, is going to be the number two, I think probably the number two biggest topic go over the next 10 to 20 years. It's going to be sustainability. It's going to be cultural diversity. And then the third piece is going to be how accessible are your products and your technology so that anyone and everyone can use them. And I think that's where diversity is really going to see a huge boost in moving from HR to the C-suite. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. Andy, if a company wants to actually come to Next and utilize your database and target 
texting candidates. I mean, how does that actually work? Right. So we have the software to provide it two different ways. If an employer has their own database of opted in text messages, whether it's through their ATS, we can text on their behalf. Or we have over eight and a half million users that have opted into our text messaging at this point. So we can use our own database. We can dissect it by obviously by geography, by function, um, any which way. Some, and sometimes we'll even parse the resumes of the opted in people to target certifications. So we really can you know dive really deep if they want to hone in on you know just give me the best hundred candidates that I want to text message with and have a conversation back and forth with versus going and saying I need 30,000 retail people across the country. And that's more of a, you know, yes, no text messaging back and apply. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. So diversity, meaning in this case, talk about accessibility, is disability, which to be quite frank, that group, which is a very large group, really gets pushed to the side. Uh, in, yeah. in most cases, and we don't have that discussion. What are you guys doing or or are you doing anything to be able to also embrace the disability side of the house? Uh, and to be totally honest, we, we suck at it. We're not a very uh, accessible product, but we know we suck at it. When we talk about disabilities on the software, from the software perspective, mm -hmm. it's folks who are um, first and foremost, just like impaired, uh, vision impaired. Um, so using bright colors is also is a really bad thing to do for folks who are colorblind. Hmm. Using different tooltips when folks are clicking around an application really makes it hard for folks who are visually impaired to uh, to, to navigate your tool and kind of use it. Um, and secondly, from or thirdly, from like a compliance point of view, there are tons of companies, especially schools hmm. um, or organizations, especially schools, that can't use any piece of software unless it's ADA compliant. So policy is moving in the direction of now centering folks who are who have disabilities because as the world becomes more reliant on software like you know that what we're using to, to to record this you have to make sure that anyone and everyone can use it um and you know to your point chad there are 1.5 billion folks who have some sort of disability mm -hmm. and missing out on that market is not only bad for, you know, diversity, you know, if we're just going to talk about it as like the right thing to do, right. it's also bad for business. Like it's bad for dollars. If you just built a business to serve the needs of folks who have disabilities, you could make a lot of cash. Um, so I think we'll, we'll see that 
conversation get centered uh, sooner rather than later. And the reason why it's not is because it's so much easier to focus on what people look like and perceived identity. It's so much easier to focus on women, people of color, because you can see that and you can see that that um, represent you can see more representation as it happens. Um, but I, I, I do think that that we'll see all of these things kind of put on the same plane sooner rather than later. Uh, I'm sorry, Albrey. I'm going to have to back up the bus a little bit. Uh, did you say 13 to 37 uh, percent? 13 to no, I said 13 to 27 percent. Sorry, 27. Okay, uh, so big. Obviously, our listeners are like, "How the fuck did they do that?" Because you have the added curveball of COVID, which we know has been an incredible. Uh, source of pain for women, particularly mothers in the workforce. So for our listeners are like, how the hell do they do that? How did you do that? That was a great question. Um, so I think it was a confluence of, uh, I'll say four factors. The first, um, we started measuring it. So something that we do that I think a lot of companies really shy away from is we visually ID every single person that uh, applies to our company. How? If we are looking at your application, we are also looking at your LinkedIn and seeing what do you, what is your perceived identity? What do you identify as? What do you express your identity as? Um, and we, uh, our recruiters are trained to tag um, folks by demographic in a private field that hiring managers can't see. And then every two weeks, I pull that information and we look at it in aggregate. And that makes it really, while we know that we probably get things wrong sometimes, let's say at a 10% clip, um, we also know that having the data is way more important than having no data at all. Yeah. So we're pretty open about that. We're pretty honest about the fact that we do that. We hope that folks self-identify so that we don't have to go through the painstaking of actually you know, misrepresenting them. But what that allows us to do is have really clear conversations with our hiring managers and say, hey, like you haven't you uh, have only interviewed one woman in the last three months. So do you really hold them to task like that? Yes. Awesome. Wow. That is awesome. I meet, <laughs> I meet with our leaders. I meet with our, our, uh, in, in engineering leaders every two weeks, we go over the pipeline stats. We go over what representation looks like, just like we would, you know, in a sales culture, looking at the numbers and we say, Hey, this is where we're weak. This is where we're strong. I'm going to go work with the managers that are weak and you keep motivating the managers that are strong. Um, and we just kind of, kind of tag team. But I think that the core piece is like when you have the data, what did Jay-Z say? He said, men lie, women lie, numbers don't, don't. And it makes those conversations a whole lot easier so that you can take folks to task. I'm sorry. I'm still taking notes. Is that J A Y? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Jay Z said that because he was fucking around. Just so that. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't believe that. By the way, I feel like I think lemonade was a was a was a stunt. But we can talk about that at a different point. Offline, oh, yeah. Beyonce, bro. Beyonce. How do you cheat on that? Uh, in, anything else? Yeah. What else? 
Data collection. I think we just have a willing team. Um, you know, the we are a younger company, and I think our our, our managers. Um, I have to give them a lot of credit that they understand that this is not only something that's the right thing to do, but necessary. If you look at the numbers of computer science graduates, like forty three percent of them were women. Uh, that used to be thirty five percent five years ago. That used to be twenty percent. Uh, 10 years ago. So I think that they're saying that the market is telling them what they need to do in order to continue to hire very quickly, whether it be the right thing to do or not. So our hiring managers really do put in the work to make it happen, as does our recruiting team. I will tell you, our recruiting team is the wokest team that I have ever worked with in my life. <laughs> I do. In fact, they make me work harder than I should be working in the sense that they're coming with ideas, bringing up partnerships, getting telling us which job boards to get on. So I have a really super you know, amazing team. Now, if I'll say for the folks in the audience, if you don't have that type of team, then the data really makes it easy for you. As recruiters have been tagging folks, not only has it been an exercise in you know, gathering the data, but they learn a lot. They learn a lot about their own biases because they have to go in and, and, and perceive people's identity. So it sounds like you're, you're manually going through this process. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, manually going through the process. I, I, so we, we talk a lot about the show on the show about AI and artificial intelligence and, and sort of the, the automated tools that take out you know bias from recruiting. Is that something you guys have explored? Is it something that uh, you've closed the door to? Or what, where, where do you stand on sort of AI tools to, to take away the bias in recruiting? Yeah, I think that, that that's, a, that's a great question. I think that the, te- the, the technology is still emerging and it's, it's hard for me to invest in an emerging technology on such an important topic. When you're talking about, you know, AI that really looks at surface level things, like for example, um, most tools that tell you whether someone is like what someone's gender is or what someone's ethnicity is are looking at solely at first and last name. Now, that sounds all hunky-dory until you realize that there are a ton of androgynous names, um, first names. And that also sounds all hunky-dory for the last names until you realize that this generation has the most interracial couples ever. So it becomes very a kind of a tough game to trust a piece of AI to be able to tell you what someone's identity is. Now, that's also the same as like a recruiter, right? Like I can't trust a recruiter to be able to look at someone's, you know, joint last name that's maybe like uh, that looks, you know, Hispanic or Latino, but, you know, they are kind of white passing. So who knows? Um, but I put rather put that in the hands of a recruiter, knowing that the the benefit is not just going to be that we've taken that data point. But like, let's say they're looking at, you know, on LinkedIn, you can look up people's interests, right? Let's say they look at the photo. It's there's this, you know, the, the, go back to the, the, the example of a white passing person with a Hispanic last name. And they look at the person's interest and it says they're, they're part of the Latinx and Hispanic design group, right? That's an indicator. And that also then tells us that we should be a part of that Latinx and design group. So it expands our aperture. Um, from where we're recruiting from. So there's this, and, and an AI wouldn't be able to do that. An AI wouldn't be able to, you know, help us with this two-pronged approach of both taking down the data or taking the data and learning about new ways to recruit. So let's spin this to employees real quick. So how can yeah. employee resource resource groups help? It seems for the most part, most of these groups are way underutilized and not truly connected to the business itself. How do we get these these groups 
who have volunteered, uh, some of them uh, being paid. How do we get them more engaged in the business. Thank you for bringing that up. This has been the crusade that I've been on over the last year and, and recently wrote, wrote that fast company post about it. And I, I, to, I think that you answered the question so perfectly. It's it, they're underutilized. I think that companies need to stop seeing ERGs as something that they're giving to employees and more of an investment in the fact that it scales up, efficiently scales up your diversity and inclusion strategy. So if you can't afford an entire DEI team, pay diversity to pay ERG leaders because at the end of the day they're going to help you. There, there are three things that they can provide. First, just like a fast feedback loop for if you're doing something racist or sexist. Like if I am coming up with a marketing campaign, wouldn't it be great if I could go to my black employee resource group and say, hey, can you take a look at this to make sure I'm not tokenizing anyone? Um, and that's way cheaper than going to a consulting firm. That's way cheaper than just kind of guessing and kind of getting dinged on the back back end when Twitter roasts you because you put on something, put up something that was uh, insensitive. I think what Amazon just got roasted because um, because they their their latest logo looked like a Hitler mustache, and they got roasted two days ago. Uh, and changed their logo immediately. So like, I wonder if they had shot that out to their employee resource groups, if someone who identified as Jewish might have said, hey, I just want to let you know that this looks kind of Hitlery. Ding, 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 ding. Not cool. In the green room, we talked uh, a little bit of football, a little bit of Steelers, and, and that reminded me of uh, the Rooney Rule, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And Chad and I talked about uh, on the sh- on our weekly show a couple weeks ago, uh, Activision, uh, fine California company out there where you are, um, originally had a little a little tiff with the AFL CIO who who would request the, the, to them to implement the Rooney Rule uh, in their hiring procedures, at, at which activism gave them uh, the middle finger uh, in so many words. I'm curious what your your take is on the Rooney Rule. Is it a good practice? Is it is it uh, unrealistic? Where do you stand on that? It's nuanced. I think there's a spectrum. I think that the Rooney Rule is is necessary. Unfortunately, I don't think it's good by any means in the sense that, you know, forcing um, it it feels like tokenization when you force people to go and talk to their one black friend for a role um, without them actually genuinely wanting to look for person for someone in that role or that person to take on the role. It, it, It leads to bad outcomes. That said. Um, there's tons of research that it works. So, for example, in California, they uh, three, four years ago, they said that, you know, every public company needs to have a woman on the board. Now, 100 percent of companies have a woman on the board. Um, and they just passed another law this year that says now you have to have a person of color on the board. And I can assure you that in two years, every one of those companies will have. Uh, a person of color on the board. So I think it's necessary in terms of forcing folks to take that next step because what, what I see as the biggest threat to diversity and inclusion is that people truly like to work with people that they like and that they're connected to. And unfortunately, the past history has forced us to only hang out with people that look like us and only provide opportunities to people that look like us. I mean, what? Segregation was 60 years ago. 70 years ago. And and if you don't believe that we are still a very much a segregated society, then um, I think that's a naive take. And the Rooney Rule forces more integration in that way. 
Um, I do hope that in a decade, the Rooney we won't need the Rooney Rule. Given how I've seen roles filled um, based off of nepotism and the and past relationships, I do think that it's one hundred percent necessary to create the diversity you want to see. Now, the last thing that I'll say because I know I've been on we've been on this topic for a while is. I think that the what people don't understand about the Rooney rule that there is a there is a benefit to it that if you see it just as forcing yourself to look at the full pool of talent I can bet you that we'll find in five to ten years that people will look back and say I'm really glad I did that because the first person that I thought of for this role that I would have gave it them to is probably a shitty pick and if you're not ready to put someone that you know up against the field, then they're probably not as good as you think. Um, because at the end of the day, you're just hiring them because of the feeling that you have. And you need to be able to see five, six, seven people before you can actually truly say that they're the best for the job. And I think that's what the Rooney Rule forces outside of race, gender, et cetera, et cetera. It forces you to put people up against the field. And I think that'll lead to better hiring outcomes. Dang it. So. Aubrey, I think you, my friend, are a fringe player. You're the guy who is making shit happen. And and I don't think there are enough of you out in the world. And here's 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 why I'm saying that, because Google just got hit with a measly three point eight million dollar back pay fee right from the U.S. government. So the U.S. government is asking Google for couch cushion change. <laughs> after getting caught red-handed to ensure that they are doing what they should be doing in the first place. So taking a look at companies like Airtable who who understand what their workforce composition is right out of the gate and they want to be able to change it because they understand why they need to change it that and then providing the how they need to change it. But overall don't we need some form of regulation to ensure that all these other organizations who don't have an Aubrey get their shit tight? Yeah. And I think I think it's coming. I think that you're predicting the future, man. Like uh, with the Biden administration, I think we'll see the opposite of what we've seen in the past administration. The past administration took steps to dismantle a lot of diversity work. And I think it was because there was an anticipation that the law is going to like legally we're going to see mandates that are much more complex and much more uh, hard-hitting than affirmative action this year they just passed a law that said any federal contractor has to have a goal of of hiring making seven percent of their workforce folks with disabilities um i think they're giving folks about five to ten years to actually hit that goal um but i think that's an indicator of what's to come um, it's it's not about identity politics anymore. It's about identity policy, um, and I think it's it's this is the very we're at the very beginning of this, and this is that's why diversity is being invested in so much. Um, there are societal pushes, right? But once policy comes into play, that's when the real investment starts to pour in because at the end of the day, once the government says you have to do this stuff, um, companies will follow suit. Al B. I mean, Al Bray Brown, everybody. Thanks for being on the show, man. For for our listeners who want to learn more about you or your company, where would you send them? 
You can hit me at angryblackman at gmail.com. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> at Brown on Twitter, LinkedIn, Albrey Brown. That's A-L-B-R-E-Y. And if you want to learn about Airtable, go to airtable.com. We have a beautiful website. You can sign up for free. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing from y'all. Can't touch this. Excellent. We out. We out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to... What's it called? A podcast. The chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses and not one word so weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chadcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.